This morning, we're going to conclude our series on spiritual disciplines that we've been in uh, for the last couple months, actually. We were in it all the, uh, after Easter. We started the second week in April. We've been in it all the way through April, April and uh, this far through uh, the end of June or the end of May now. And uh, we'll be kicking off uh, something different uh, in the next week or so. And so we're looking forward to that. But my prayer is that the Lord has used this series to, to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your walk with the Lord, and, and you are now well on your way to becoming spiritually healthy. Now, I, I want you to know something that, that weighs on my heart as your pastor, and that is, I can't do this for you. Like, as a pastor, your ultimate goal is to pastor healthy, vibrant disciples of Christ that are walking close with Him. That's your goal. But you can't make anyone do that, and you can't do that for them. And so I've given you everything I know to give you to help you become spiritually healthy. But just knowing this stuff, just having a concept of it in your mind doesn't bring health. You actually have to take the next step, and that is to apply them to your life. So I hope you've done that, and if you haven't, I implore you to start applying these to your spiritual life so that you would become uh, spiritually healthy. Now, some of you are new or some of you have missed some of them, and they're all online. I have those available online. You can watch them. You can hear them. Uh, all available to you, and, and it's just my prayer. I mean, if you don't want to you want to watch it and you just want to read it, I'll print the notes off for you. You can just read the stuff. I, I don't care what you need to do to do it, but I implore you uh, to do that. And so as we close this series, I want to talk about another discipline that um, is very important to us, and it's, it's one of those that, that is often overlooked at best or flat out ignored or neglected at worst. It is either something we don't think of very often or it's something we know we ought to do, but because of different situations or because of the culture we live or something like that, we don't actually do that. And what I'm talking about is the spiritual discipline of rest. The spiritual discipline of rest. Now, some of you that like to sleep, you're going to go, praise the Lord, hallelujah, he's going to preach my kind of sermon. I know my wife is looking forward to this message. She loves to sleep. But I, I've got some good news and bad news for you. Good news is, I am going to talk maybe a little bit about sleep, but I've, bad news is that rest really has nothing to do with sleep. It really doesn't. Uh, not from a spiritual aspect. From a physical aspect, it does. As a matter of fact, almost every health, uh, health professional there is would agree that in order to be physically healthy, one of the things that you need is, is adequate sleep. You need adequate rest in your life. And, and the same is true spiritually. But spiritual rest and physical rest are not the same, yet they have the same core value. They have the same purpose, and that is to, for you to be healthy. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the spiritual discipline of rest. I want us to look at it, and, and I want us to, to really grasp this idea of what it means to have spiritual rest because a lot of times what happens is we, we read our Bible, we, we do the spiritual disciplines of prayer, even giving, even service, to the point where we're dry, where we just feel like we're run ragged, where we feel like we're no longer fulfilling a calling on our lives, but we're fulfilling a job on our lives for God. And we've got to do, and it's do and do, and we just don't have anything left to give, Yet we, and that's where rest comes in. We need spiritual rest in order to be 
uh, revitalized. Just like when you go to bed at night after a long, hard day of work and you are exhausted. I mean, uh, some of uh, you sponsors, you're going to experience that this week. I guarantee it. You're going to go to bed and you're going to be exhausted. Uh, some of them are looking at me like, no, you'll be exhausted. I won't be. You're right. I will be physically and mentally and emotionally exhausted by the end of the day. And, and when you get to that point, you need sleep. You need sleep in order to be, your, your body can recuperate and recover and get revitalized. The same is true for your spiritual health. The problem is we're not supposed to go to sleep spiritually. We're supposed to be awake spiritually. So how do we get rest spiritually if we're not supposed to sleep spiritually? I mean, the Bible does tell us to wake up, right? We're told to awake. Awaken from your sleep. For There are people that don't know about the gospel to your shame. That's what the Word of God says. And so we need to be spiritually awake. So how do we get rest if we're not supposed to be asleep spiritually. Well, I want to talk about that this morning. And one of the primary chapters that deals with this, and the, one of the primary texts that deals with this all throughout Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 11. So if you have your word this morning, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning in Matthew chapter 11. Now, Jesus has been talking uh, and, and doing some different things. He's done some different things uh, throughout the chapter 11. And then down in verse 25, it says this, at that time, Jesus answered and said, now Jesus is talking to some people. If you flip back over to the beginning of chapter 11, he's talking about whether or not he's the coming one and, and who do they look for. He, he talks about John. He talks about John's ministry. He, he kind of goes through that. And then in verse 25, he continues to answer and he says this to him. I thank you, and he's praying at this point. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you are hidden, uh, that, sorry, that you have hidden these things from the wise and and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you bless the reading of your word. And now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease, that your spirit living in me would increase, and that the words that be shared today would be yours and not mine. And, Father, you would impact our hearts and our lives today with your word, and that, Father, we would respond how you lead us to respond is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this text is really a quite popular text because it teaches some really great theological truths within those texts. There's a lot of things and a lot of ways it can be taught, but one of the truths that is taught in that text is where we, as Christians, where we find true rest. Twice in there, he tells them that he will give them rest, and he tells them exactly where they're going to find it. And so I want to talk about that today. I want us to look at the idea, really, of two things when we're talking about spiritual rest. Not only where do we find spiritual rest, but I think before you find out where you can get it, I think it's important for you to know what it is. I think it's important for us to understand what spiritual rest really is and where it comes from. And so to do this today, I really just have two points for you that I want to look at today. The first one is I want us to look at what biblical rest is. I want us to understand what biblical rest is. Where, where did it come from? Well, biblical rest 
actually gets its roots all the way back in the creation story when God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation story, and God began to create. And for the first six days, God created something. And everything that he created was good. And then when he created man, we know that's what distinguishes us from all other living things that he created. It wasn't we're just good. We were very good. That's, he looked at us, and he was, he was pleased with what he created. And he did that for six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, that, that has often been a source of contention. People argue and debate that. Like, why did God have to rest? I thought he was the all-powerful God. I want you to know God didn't rest because he was tired. God didn't rest because he needed rest. God rested on the seventh day to be an example to you and to I about how we should live. As a matter of fact, that's followed up in Genesis chapter 2 because, because in Genesis chapter 2, uh, G, uh, uh, God specifically set aside the seventh day. Listen to what Genesis chapter 2, verse 3 says. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. The word sanctified means to set it apart. God set the seventh day apart because in it he rested from his work, which God had created and made. And so he set that day apart, and he expected his followers to have that day set aside for rest. They're to work six days, you toil for six days, and then you rest on the seventh day. That is where biblical rest comes from, okay? Physically and it also spiritually. Now, this was the beginning of what's known as the Sabbath day rest all throughout the Old Testament. And from this point forward, the idea of rest is related to us throughout the entire Old Testament and into the New Testament in a variety of ways, and, and it gives us a lot of spiritual significance and the benefits that come from being rested, not just physically, but spiritually. Okay, throughout the Old Testament, he, they are commanded to physically rest from their toil, okay, on the seventh day, but they're also told to find rest in the Lord, not physically, but spiritually. And then in the New Testament, Jesus said it like this, Come to me, you're weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul, for your spirit. He wants to give us spiritual rest. Now, I want you to note two, ways, two things with me about this. There are several types of biblical rest, and I want to give them to you. The first one is in the Old Testament. There are three primary, and you don't need to write these down because you're probably never going to use them again. And so I'm not even going to pronounce them for you. But there are three primary Hebrew words for rest all throughout the Old Testament. One of them is, I will give you that word, is sabbat. And the reason why is it's the root word of Sabbath, okay? And we know the word Sabbath. We've heard it. Okay, and sabbat literally means the ceasing or coming to an end of an activity. What did God do? He ceased his activity. After six days, he rested. He ceased his activity. He came to an end of that activity. Another word in the Old Testament about rest literally means to be settled down in an absence of movement. Okay, so another way to look at rest in the Old Testament was to just be still. We've heard that before, right? Be still and know that what? I am God. So one way do we rest is to be still. Another, the third one is means literally finding tranquility or finding inner peace. And that means specifically the absence of external pressure and internal anxiety. That's rest that I think a lot of people need today. 
We, we put let way too many people put way too much pressure on us externally, and we put, have way too much inner anxiety. And that's what one of the ideas of rest is in the Old Testament, is to come to a point of tranquility, of peace, where the external pressures are not weighing on you, where the internal stress and anxiety has been removed from you. Now, each of those communicates a little bit about what rest is and the benefits that come from it. In the New Testament, there's also three primary words for, for rest in, in the Hebrew, or in, sorry, in the Greek language found in the New Testament. The first one means rest in the idea of fi- in a physical sense, the way uh, to be refreshed, like sleeping, okay? The, you, when you go to sleep at night, you wake up, or you should wake up refreshed. You don't always wake up refreshed. I was telling Brother Justin this morning, my only regret is I'm about to go to camp for three nights, and my last night of sleep in my own bed was terrible. <laughs> I got hardly any sleep. That's like the worst thing. You don't sleep well, and then you got to go sleep in some new place, and you're not going to get much rest. But, but that's what it means. That word means rest in a physical sense to be refreshed. The other word, the second word means rest coming from the freedom or the removal of a burden. Isn't that kind of nice and restful? When you have this big job to do or this big burden that's on you and all of a sudden that's taken off of you and you don't have to worry about it anymore. When I was at at Ada, I will tell you the last week of my ministry at Ada was awful. Awful. And the the first day I was out of the office, I had to go to Norman and met with the, the state college uh, BCM minister. I was going to talk to him about some things. And I met my mom and my sister in Norman at Ross. And my mom walked right up to me and looked right at me and says, you look so much better. <laughs> like when I no longer had that weighing on me, it changed the way I even looked. That word is described in the New Testament as well. It's the idea of, of coming, to the, uh, coming into freedom because of the removal of some kind of burden. And then the third one, uh, the last one in the, in the New Testament, means rest coming from sleep, inactivity, or relaxation. Okay? So there's, there's comes from being relaxed, comes from maybe sleeping or being inactive. Now, I want you to note the word that's used for rest in Matthew 11 is a combination word of the first two of those. It, it, it means to, to rest in a physical sense, to be refreshed, not to sleep, but to be refreshed by coming to the point of being freed from the removal of a burden. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go through it, and you're going to see it a little bit better in a second. So, so we see what rest is from a biblical standpoint, but how do we get it? How do we gain this type of rest? What, what do we need to do in order to gain this type of rest? Do we just need to sleep more? Do we just need to take more vacations? Uh, do we need to remove ourselves from whatever is pressuring us? Do we need to change jobs? I mean, what do we need to do to gain this type of spiritual rest? Well, these rests of Scripture, they don't happen by chance, and they simply don't happen by sleeping more or taking more vacations or any of those other things. These rests require three specific requirements, and they're found in your text. If you have your text and open back with me to Matthew chapter 11, we're going to look at them because there's three of them. The first one, and again, these are not just in Matthew 11. Matthew 11 sums up what the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament teach us, and that's why I like it because it sums up pretty much the whole biblical idea of spiritual rest. And the first one, again, that was a side note, the first one is you have to come to Jesus. 
He says, come to me. Now, I want you to note there's something about that, come to me. That word come is in the present tense. That means to come now. If you have, a, if you have children, you know exactly what that word means, right? You, when I say come here, that doesn't mean two minutes from now. It doesn't mean five seconds from now. It definitely doesn't mean an hour from now. If I tell you to come here, you come now, right? Isn't that what we want? That's, that's, the, way, and that's the way it should be. I heard a guy one time teach on this to parents, and, and parents today don't like to hear it, but I, I used to love it, and I'm guilty of it, so don't think I'm high and mighty, but he used to teach that uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. He was like, to say come and then to delay is a disobedient child. And I used to hear that and go, man, that's what I want. And so I raised my kids like if I said come, they would come here. Now as they get older, they try to test me in that, and I'm not going to lie. But that's what it means. When he says come, he means come now. You see, one of the reasons why we don't gain rest is because we don't go to him. We try everything else, and we push him to the last. Like, I've done everything else. I've went to my doctor. I've went to my friends. I've went to my social media. I've went to my buddies. I've went to my self-help books. I've read Your Best Life Now. I've done all this stuff. And we're sitting there going, and I'm still tired. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Not your preacher, not, not that you can't come to me and I can't help, but I can't give you rest, only he can. I can give you counsel, he gives you rest. You see what that means? You don't come to your preacher, you don't go to your church, you don't go to your favorite book, you don't go to those things, you go to him. He is the only one capable of giving you rest, and when, he's, when you need to come, now. You need to come now. Don't wait, don't try everything else, and then try him. Oh, I'm at my last straw, I guess I'll try Jesus. You and I, we need, if we're going to find rest, you've got to come to him. He says, come to me. The second thing that he requires, if we're going to gain rest, is you have to remove the old yoke. Now, I talked about a second ago how the word for rest in our text actually is a, is a combination word of those first two ideas of finding rest and like being refreshed and also being freed by the removal of a burden. That's exactly why we know that's what that word means because he uses the word yoke. And when you know, most of, like if you're a kid, you probably don't even know what a yoke is. I didn't for a long time. A yoke is what they put on an ox or on oxen as they plowed out the fields. And it was very big. It was very burdensome. And it was bulky, and it was heavy. And if you tried to pick it up and carry it by yourself, it was a severe burden, okay? But yoke in that day was also a word, and it symbolized the teachings of your priest or your rabbi. You see, as a child, at about 12 years old, male children in particular because of the culture, male children at 12 years old, they were selected by a rabbi. That rabbi would take them. They would become their children or their students. And then that rabbi would begin to pour into those 12-year-old kids their doctrine, their theology, and that was known as their yoke. So these, these kids had been trained. And guess who the main trainers of the law was in the time of Jesus? It's the Pharisees. And that the Pharisees required a strict, a strict interpretation of the law. So strict that like they had rules, like if you had chickens, you could only pick up so many eggs on Sunday on the Sabbath. You could only pick up so many eggs because if you picked up even one more than that, you were considered working. 
So they required a strict interpretation of the law found in the Old Testament, and it was called a yoke, and these people had been under this for centuries, and they were burdened down, and they were pressed down by the doctrine and the teachings of the religious leaders, and it was called a yoke. And so Jesus said, if you want my rest, you've got to take off the old yoke because you can't have his yoke until you take off the old one. And so you and I, if we're going to find rest, we've got to take off the yoke that's burdening us down. And I want you to know that can be religion. It very much can be religion. I know what it's like to see someone who I love dearly struggle because they were raised in a very legalistic, rigid home. I've watched them struggle with doubting their salvation at every turn because when they make a mistake, all they can hear is, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't do that. A Christian doesn't do that. That's like the worst thing that you can tell someone because it puts us right back under works. Church, you can be as good as you want to be and never, never do anything quote-unquote bad. You're still sinful at heart. And you're going to die and go to hell without Jesus. You see, you and I, on our own power, we are, we are already tending to fail. And when we become a Christian, we have something new in our lives that gives us an ability to overcome that. That's called the spirit, but in and of our flesh, we cannot overcome it. And Paul says very directly in the book of Romans that that spirit that we have and the old flesh nature that we have are at a constant battle with one another this side of heaven. There are going to be some battles as a Christian you don't win. What do you do when you don't win? Well, 1 John 1, 9, two believers says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness, all unrighteousness. So what do we do when we fail? We confess it, he cleanses us, and we move forward. But we don't put a burden, a yoke on someone that they're incapable of carrying. Listen, if you and I were capable of losing our salvation, we would lose it. Guaranteed. You can check that off. You say, my pastor left and done told me that if I could lose my salvation, then I could lose it. I guarantee you, if you could lose it, you would. And so would I. Because there's no way we can hold on to it. Only God is strong enough to hold our salvation. Only God and Jesus are strong enough to save us and to keep us safe the way the word of God promises. We can't do that. And so we've got to take off. It very well could be religion. It could be something completely different. It could be a job. It could be a relationship. It could be something else. I don't know what it is for you, but it could be something else. And if you want to find rest, you got to take that off. And then simultaneously, you got to do the third thing. You can't just take that off. you got to do a third thing, and that is got to replace it with his yoke. Look at what it says. Come to me, you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take, and I love the word. He uses the same word so they'll know what, exactly what he's talking about. Take my yoke. Take my teachings. They know exactly what he's talking about. Take my teachings upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. If you want to find rest, you've got to replace the old yoke with the yoke of Jesus. What is the yoke of Jesus? The yoke of Jesus is simply, and I, I put it pretty much like this. His yoke is freedom from the bondage to obedience to the law in order to be saved. 
his freedom, it is freedom from the bondage of having to be perfect in your obedience to the law in order to appease God. God's holy, right? We know that. The Bible says he's holy. If he's holy, there's nothing in him that's bad. There's nothing in him at all that's bad. And therefore, we're, we're bad, so how can we be in his presence? That's what the Bible tells us. I'm not telling you that's what the Bible says. All of sin falling short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We all are. God's holy, okay? God requires that we be perfect. We can't. So what's he do? He sends Jesus to be perfect for us. Not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. I like to say it like this. He doesn't give us freedom to sin. He gives us freedom from sin and the bondage that comes with it. You see, he doesn't give us the freedom. As believers, we do not believe, the Bible does not teach that you can come to Christ and then go out and live however you want to, doing whatever you want to do. You just come to Jesus, you come down an aisle, pray a little prayer, you're fine. Then you go out and you can continue to live in the world. You can be like the world. You can sin like the world. You can talk like the world. You can do anything like the world. But when you die, you're going to go to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy. The Bible tells us to pursue holiness. The fact of the matter is, though, you don't pursue holiness to please and to save yourself. You've been set free from the burden of having to do that in order to be saved. Jesus did it for you. It's checked. It's done. And now you're freed from that bondage. You're freed from the slavery that comes. You're free from the, the, the have to sin. And now you get to live for him. You're free from the bondage. Not free to sin. Free from the bondage which comes with, from obeying the law. You see, if we want rest, if we want to be refreshed, then you need to come to the Lord and you need to come now. You need to take off the old yoke and you need to take on his yoke. He even says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because it is finished. Jesus did that. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of God on your behalf. What's the Bible tell us? That, that, God, that Jesus died, that God put the iniquity and the punishment for sin on him, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, you and I are free from the burden of the law. You're not free from it. We're free from the burden of it. And, and, and we need to take off that stuff. And maybe it's the yoke or, or whatever it is, but that's how you find rest. Now, real quick, and we're going to close. I want to share with you some things that are going to make a resistance to you. Because we need rest. I think everybody agrees. But there's some things out there that are going to try to keep you from it. I guarantee you Satan does not want a church that is spiritually healthy, that's well-rested spiritually serving him. I guarantee it. Because that church is dangerous to Satan's kingdom. Because they don't, they're not as apt to get caught up in quarrels and fighting and struggles and infighting and personal issues. Those things are 
small compared to the gospel in a church that's spiritually healthy, that's well-rested spiritually, that comes to him. So there are going to be some things out there that are going to try, try to chip you up, and I'm going to give them to you. Number one, busyness. Staying busy all the time. We live in a fast-paced society that constantly running from appointment to appointment, job to job, event to event, work to event, however you want to say this, and we have so much busyness in us. And that busyness is the opposite of being rested. We're constantly doing and we don't take the time because we're too busy to stop and rest and the fact that our culture doesn't embrace rest, that's not looked on in a positive way. And so the more busy we look, the better off we are, or the, at least the better off we seem. And so we keep ourselves busy to the point where we take no time to the Lord. I was reminded of a story a pastor was telling me, and he said that there was a woman in his church that came by on his day off, which his day off was Friday. And she came by all day Friday, coming on and off to the church, went to his house, called his phone, did everything she could to, to get a hold of him. She couldn't get a hold of him. And finally, on Sunday morning, she walked up to him, and she kind of huffed at him. And I want you to know I looked for you all day on Friday. I went to your house. I went to your office. I called you. You didn't answer the phone. And he, he just simply said, ma'am, I'm, I'm off on Friday. I take, I take Friday off. Well, I want you to know the devil doesn't take a day off. And he said, you're right, ma'am, and if I don't take a day off, I'll be just like him. devil doesn't take a day off. Jesus took a day off to rest. God created for six days and took a day off for rest. We need rest. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little story about Jesus. That's what everybody goes to. Jesus wouldn't take a day off. Jesus, after a great revival one time, and you can read about this in Mark chapter 11, but there's a great revival going on. People are being saved. He'd sent the disciples out. They come back, and they're telling them everything that happened. People being saved, demons being cast out, all this great stuff's going on. And what does Jesus tell them to do? Go apart to yourselves and rest. That's what he tells them. Rest. So they start to remove themselves. He looks out, sees the crowd. The crowd, he, he has compassion. Jesus has compassion. Sees the crowd with compassion, sends his disciples back out to minister to them while he ministers to them. Ends up feeding 5,000. You, you, know, you know that story, right? What did he do immediately after he fed the 5,000? He told them a second time, get in the boat and go over there and I'll join you later. See, we missed that part. See, he wanted them to go off to their side to get rest. He sees that there's a need, so he sends them back out. But as soon as that need was met, he put them in a boat and made them go where the crowd couldn't get to them so they could find rest. See, you and I, we, we stay busy, but if we stay busy all the time and we don't get rest, we're not going to be in a place to be effective in our ministry. Number two, fear. And I only got three of these, so we're about done. Fear. Nobody likes being thought of as lazy. Right? <laughs> I mean, we live in a world that definitely doesn't, well, I don't know, our culture kind of, never mind, I'm going to go there. Anyway, uh, we, we live in a world that uh, just doesn't think much of, of laziness, and we're afraid if we seek to find rest in the Lord, we'll be labeled lazy or good for nothing or whatever. I mean, think about this. What would people say if they ask you how your week went, and you said, well, I really didn't get anything done physically, but I spent some really quality time with the Lord. What would people say? They'd probably give you a sneer or giggle at you or I mean, you didn't get anything done. 
I mean, I think about this with my wife. I may come home one week and I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her a get out of jail free card right here. She, she can write it down. But I'm going to come home one time this, this summer and house will be a mess, everything after I go to Falls Creek probably. And I'm going to expect her to say, I didn't get anything done physically, but I spent some quality time with the Lord. My first response would probably not be very good. But if she spent quality time with the Lord, it ought to be very good. See what I'm saying? We, 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 it's not about being lazy. It's about being honest. You and I don't have all power and all strength. And our spiritual lives, not just as we get tired physically, spiritually, we get tired. We need rest. We need a break. I, I have a pastor friend of mine that's been pastoring over 30 years, and he's never missed a Sunday in the pulpit. And he doesn't think too highly of guys that do. And I just told him, man, I, I praise God that you have that much spiritual energy. I've been pastoring less than 10 years, and I haven't preached near that many times. I miss when I need to miss because I need rest. One of the reasons why I, I love having Brother Justin and Brother Brandon before him and giving them opportunity to preach was to give them an opportunity to preach, but it was also to give me a time to rest. Now, listen, we all need that time. It's not about being lazy. It's about rest. So don't worry about what people think about you. By the way, they're going to think it whether or not you do it or not. So you might as well take the time and spend some time with the Lord. Number three, the last one, we lack submission. We need to understand that rest is not a suggestion, it's a command. Come to me. It's in the imperative sense. Not if you want to come to me. Not if you think you should come to me. Come to me, and you'll find rest. I, I mentioned it a while ago, but in, in Mark, that story is a command to his disciples. Go away and rest. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. And a lot of times, because of the culture we live in, maybe because of the background we have, maybe because of the job that we have, or whatever it is, we would rather be submissive to what the world defines and describes as what we ought to be doing with our physical lives and our spiritual lives, and, and we don't submit to God's design for our lives. All the way back in Genesis, all the way back in Genesis, all the way throughout the Old Testament, you remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That, that day was set apart for two things. It was set apart to remember the Lord and to rest. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And one of the reasons why we don't find rest is because we're not willing to submit to his authority in our lives.